I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about your background coming from Bhutan, uh, when you got to the States, what brought you here, how you got interested in music, whether that occurred, you know, in your home country, if things developed there, what you heard about there. I mean, for me, it's like a really fascinating uh, path. Thank you, Ken. Uh, again, thank you, Yesid and Ken and Alex for hosting this tonight. Feels really nice to be conversing. I've been in a very deep isolation with my family in the woods, so it feels nice to be here speaking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, my background, I come from Bhutan, which is a small country in the Himalayas. Um, I grew up there. My family lives there. And I came to U.S. to go to college in the year 2000. I came in here to go to a small liberal arts college here in Asheville, North Carolina. I played music when I was in Bhutan. I grew up playing, you know, more like, you know, just mainstream rock and roll type learning few chords and playing. And we have very little access to outside music. Late 90s, early 2000, you know, it was it's still Bhutan. Bhutan's always been a kind of isolated country. So I started learning how to play guitar because my friends were playing. So I just learned basic you know, rock and roll, blues, and everything that I could find. And that was basically my background, like mm. coming to U.S. I used to play music in Bhutan with friends, but it was nothing really serious. But I was really hooked. And once I started playing, it was just something that just kind of kept me going in a way. Like I wanted to leave Bhutan to go to U.S. because I knew that that's where everything came from. Or <laughs> at least I had an idea that was like the source of the music that I was hearing. You know, one of the big reasons I came to U.S., it's a rarity for a Bhutanese student a Bhutanese to apply for a college to a small liberal arts college here in U.S. So I got kind of basically free ride to come here and go to school. You know, I fulfilled my promise. I came here and I I saw this amazing music scene in town and I just wanted to be part of it. And I, and I left college and I started pursuing knowingly or unknowingly into this kind of a labyrinth of that was, you know, huge and insurmountable at times, but I, that's how I got into it. And it was, it was no specificity as far as my inquisition. It was very broad. I was just overwhelmingly interested in what was happening around me because I grew up in a very, in a, you know, quasi-traditional society. You know, my parents are very Buddhist and my dad worked for the government. Right? They all come from a strong lineage of Buddhist tradition and monastic music, you know.
when you when you got to Asheville and you started encountering the scene there, I mean that was like a huge a game changer, right? You know, I had never been to a live rock and roll punk show before. And I, I I didn't even know punk music was. I mean, that was my first initiation into this kind of a radical expression was through punk rock music, and mm-hmm. it was pretty much slam dunk. You know, my first year, <laughs> one of my roommate was a roommate was like this, you know, punk kid from Richmond, and he was just like, "I'll take you to these shows. I know you like, you know, heavy metal or whatever." And I started going to all these shows like every week, and it was, I mean, to me, I'm coming from a culture that was very insulated and access was very little my you know i mean i had like basic rock and roll like metallica judas nirvana and but to be suddenly introduced to this underground culture of real you know just angry like you know like real strata of society of youth making music in this diy culture was incredible yeah and it just blew my head like (laughs) what was it what was it like was it the music or was it the attitude and energy, or is it, or just the subculture of like something that was count, counterculture, like underground, or is it a mix of things? Like what, what brought you? What made it so exciting for you? I think it was assemblages of things. With punk rock, it was definitely the attitude, right? There was like this sense of defiance and the sense of standing up and creating, and this huge sense of like almost like this kind of a tribal sense of solidarity amongst people who are playing music. And it was very powerful to see that with youth, especially. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a very peaceful Buddhist Himalayan country where we didn't have much rebellion to rebel against. As a young person, there's always like the sense of like, I needed that. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I just felt. <laughs> but coming here, definitely punk attitude and the loudness and that interrogative nature of that music was really appealing and and understanding that music was super political and understanding that music music was you know, against any standard notion of what you know normalcy was how do you get from that like that energy the counterculture attitude all that excitement how do you end up getting to more let's say experimental types of music or the kinds of musics you're involved in playing now so I started meeting friends who were listening to other things, right? Like there was, they were listening to punk rock music, but they were listening to more experimental stuff, which, you know, and I, one thing I think growing up, I, I, I always remember this. I, I was always terrified of structures and just kind of codified and you know, like this regiments of standard, whatever, like a, a compoundment of anything, ideas in classrooms, one of my next door roommate at college was listening to, uh, I forget what band it was. I think it might have been like Godspeed You Black Emperor or something. And he was telling me, it was like, yeah, this these guys, there was like eight of them. They they play this thing called improvise, man. They just make this stuff up and, and it just builds and builds and builds and becomes this, you know, this is, <laughs> I was just like, what? They just listen to each other and make this up? It was like my early like memory of like really blown away by the fact that people could make that sound like this kind of cohesive, but at the same time this dramatic, powerful sound by just listening to each other, right? Yeah. Which you know, which which is always there, but to hear it on a record and to hear that in that kind of a 
punkness and kind of a danger was like really powerful. Yeah, I think that was like my earliest kind of uh, encounters, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that made me really curious. You know, I just wanted to do that. I wanted to play that, and mm. it took a long time, but you know, eventually it came to where it was. <laughs> so your 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 interest was obviously the music like impacted you. You heard it and you liked it. But but the the methodology behind it was also attractive in terms of your let's say your stance towards codification of ideas, social structures like the rules. Like you wanted to move out, you wanted to be let's say against those kinds of status quo components. And so a music that also was let's say in your mind um, not necessarily free from structure, but open ended in a way that like okay, you don't have the same chord changes, you don't have the same song form. You can discover as, as it's created, create it in the moment. That that part of your thinking also was attached to the music making part, the methodology. It like ran in parallel. That made sense to you. It was exciting, yeah. Oh, totally. Another big co- component of this of this navigation or the inquisitiveness, right, of mine as a foreigner, as a complete stranger to this idea. But also, I have to say, you know, backtracking like traditional monastic music. Is you know there's so much similarity to a lot of especially heavy music and like elements of free jazz with big horns blowing and big mm-hmm. you know cymbals and drums. I grew up hearing that like mm-hmm. every week, every day, like big chanting and growls. You know, in this natural setting in the monastery, so it wasn't unfamiliar for me. But just I think what was more Intriguing here was just, I think, the attitude of like, you know, standing against the state, standing against the hegemonized realm. And early on, when I first came to the school, I got, you know, really radicalized. And even politically, I was just like, whoa, like, you know, there is this idea like where people stand against the state and, you know, hierarchy, the idea of, you know, structures and, you know, power and and that blows with the music i mean there's music that translate into that and and i saw you know eventually i could see like you know free jazz and punk rock and even heavy metal like all this music were like kind of this rhizomatic formations of all this expression that started like you know really dragging me into like like, intriguing me and that was a huge like the political nature of that music the radical expression and learning about the oppression of this in this country and learning about history and you know, colonization and black history. I think all of that added to that kind of a sense of, oh, OK, there's a reason why this exists and I want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. And, and like that process of like because you got to Asheville like when you were around 18, 20 or what, how old were you? 20. And, yeah. And then to get to the point where you started playing music that you're associated with now, how many years did that process take when you started doing more improvised music and, and more, let's say, experimental types of music? I mean, <clears throat> I think there was the point, clear point. I mean, I, so I was really into punk rock and a lot of heavier music. And I remember, I think it was like a, 
I remember like specific points of a kind of a signifier where when I heard like John Zorn or something like that, I remember being like, whoa, what is this? Like, because it was like, they were navigating, that music was navigating into punk rock and kind of a heavy music scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Naked City stuff in particular, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and Naked City, I think I remember hearing that and I was like, whoa, this is really interesting and cool. Then I think that slowly led into, that really didn't stick with me. It was then, you know, it just opened me up. Like I heard about Mark Fribo and I think I heard about just all these little things. I heard about Albert Eiler and just little things started seeping in. And I think a big point of departure was when I first heard Derek Bailey's uh, standards. I think I found uh, this. Uh, <laughs> I found that CD, used CD at a record store in town. Uh, it was in Maine. Uh, I found it at a record store. In Maine. It was like $5 or something. Free jazz, I really was trying to grasp what that was, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm not scholastic in that sense. You know, I, don't, I don't read music. I don't, a theory, like, that tradition was, you know, it's a huge tradition. It's intimidating for me as a person who's, like, completely coming from a non-idiomatic, you know, non-formalized space. I remember asking a you know experimental musician about like where do guitar fit in? Like, do you know any free jazz guitar players? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, just want to hear that because I just didn't really know where that was. And I think it took like four or five years after that I found Derek Bailey because I've I'd heard his name through John Zorn or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was not actively seeking free improvisation. It was just kind of a, it happened, you know, like I found Derek Bailey's record and I was just like, he's, he's doing, he's, he's doing something that I think I, I am, I'm always hearing. Like I, mm-hmm. it's like you know, it's kind of a life thing. It's like, he's playing music that makes sense to like an everyday kind of a thing. Yeah. It's a sound that heard. That, that kind of a feeling, you know, I had when I first heard Standards. And it just, it was just one of those more, like, clear, like, humbling, like, this beautiful kind of a feeling that I've ever felt. This music felt so bare and so open, and it was just there. Mm-hmm. It was just there, just breathing. Yeah. That really transformed my, literally so turned me. You were about 26 years old or so at that time, roughly, like mid-20s? I think like late 20s. Okay. And, and after hearing that record and that like sort of like window opening up, the door being broken open, let's say, you start working more and more in that way you're on your own, like in that kind of uh, direction, let's say. So late 20s, so it's always like something like that. Yeah, and it was just the idea of playing, because, you know, I wasn't playing with anybody and I was up in Maine because my partner was going through a school and she was going to a midwifery school up there. And I, I, I love playing punk rock music, but I was wanted to learn something new or whatever. It was just like this moment of like kind of a liminal period. And I heard this and I was like, wow, like a solo guitar perform, like, you know, player. It seems so interesting mm-hmm. to be able to play this. So it just kind of opened this door up where I just, I didn't want to play, but I was like interested. Like, what does that feel like to play this music that was just free?
wanted to uh, see if you could maybe bring me up to speed a little bit uh, with what you've been working on, who you've been working with over the last stretch. I first heard about you through uh, Tyler Damon. Uh, now it's several years ago, and he had talked about you, and I hadn't, unfortunately, I hadn't heard of you until he brought it up, so I was completely not in the loop on that, and then heard you uh, play when you traveled to Chicago on one of many occasions and was super knocked out uh, getting to see you live. Um, I know you play with a lot of other musicians in addition to Tyler, but can you talk a little bit about your relationship with him musically and otherwise, if, you know, his impact on, on what you've been developing? Yes, um, I met Tyler and I got together three mm-hmm. or four years ago. Um, I mean, just via mutual friends, like Tim Barnes, I think, oh, okay. was our uh, facilitator almost, like he, he was like the connector. Uh, I think Tim had sent me a video of Tyler playing with you, I think, at Dreamland. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but I, so Tyler and I connected through internet and he was hosting a radio show. I think he was doing a radio show in uh, Bloomington and express interest in playing if I come through Midwest or something like that. And that's pretty much how we connected. So I had this like short tour going to Chicago or something solo. And I asked Tyler if he wanted to come and play some music with me and and he came and we played a couple of shows and we had our first tape on Astral Spirits from that three shows we played. <laughs> That's great. I mean, he was, Tyler was, um, you know, the minute he sat down and started playing, I, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, this, I have to like really play. Like, I, I this is like he just, <laughs> arsenal of things he was just throwing on, on me. It was like, I mean, he was just, you know, phenomenal. So it was just like instant chemistry. And there was so much uh, connectivity, just like friend, like friendship instantly. And we became close friends and collaborator. And uh, he just, I mean, now he's on this level where it's just, I could just sit there and watch him play. You know? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I, like That's how we connected and it's evolved. And, I think he was one of my first collaborators. Mm-hmm. And when you, because uh, you got the project, the trio uh, Kuzu with uh, Dave Rempis and Tyler, correct? And okay, you've got this background of playing duo with Tyler. Um, can you describe a little bit how that's impacted, if it is, uh, by Dave's presence as a, as a saxophone player, uh, how that alters the music or how that alters maybe how you think about your interaction with Tyler or if it's kind of grafted onto that duo music you developed? Yeah. Um, so as soon as I started listening more and being more interested in you know, more horn oriented free jazz music, it was like one of, you know, I've always wanted to play with a saxophone player or some kind of horn player. And, uh, well, actually, before Dave, the first person I started playing was Meta. I was in tour in Europe, and she was one of the first person that actually I actually played with with mm. a saxophone. And after that, you know, we started doing stuff together. And Dave, I mean, I knew of Dave's music via your music and Dave's other project. And I was, I mean, Dave was such a powerhouse musician that you know, I the 
thought of playing with him was always like kind of intimidating. You know? I was just like, wow. But I, I remember he came through Asheville when he was doing his solo tour and he had asked me if I wanted to collaborate with him for that show at Moth Light. And that was like the initial kind of uh, friendship that started. And it seems like he enjoyed our, our playing together. And I, I don't remember exactly who's, I think Tyler proposed or our trio. I don't remember how it happened, but it just kind of became this thing. And mm. we played our first show and it was not a band then. We just had Tyler and I was on tour. I don't remember. Tyler will clarify. Uh -huh, <laughs> but we okay. had Dave. I remember being so excited that we you know, played with Dave Rempus. And I mean, it was the first show we played. It was Elastic Card. And it was just like, we were so wired up, me and Tyler. I think it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. It was like one of, one of those shows. And it's, every show I play with Dave is, and Tyler, it's like that. It's, Pretty overwhelmingly beautiful, amazing time. How is it like? I mean, because it's a really different thing. I know, like the reverse. If I'm playing and I'm playing with a guitar player, it affects what, the way I think about what I'm doing, as opposed to, let's say, another horn player, because the capacity of the guitar it can imply harmony or it can imply different kinds of sound textures, totally different than a horn player. When you were doing these projects, the trio with with, with Dave and Tyler, I mean, having a chance to work with Dave, does that alter the, your conception of the guitar or do you just go at it and just discover it in the moment? Are you thinking about it differently at all or not? Um, I mean, the way I approach playing this uh, improvisation music, I was, it was initially, so when I first played with Meta was my first experimentation. I played with her in Norway. We did like a small show. I remember feeling like, like, wow, this is not easy, like mm -hmm. playing with a player, I mean, playing electric guitar, it's, it's just like takes a lot of <clears throat> navigation for me, especially because my sound, you know, I, 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 I remember realizing that there was like a lot of navigation that I had to do, like texturally, whatever, because I'm not, I'm not a jazz player. I'm not, I don't have chops. I, I can't just come up with riffs and you know chordal whatever you know, mm. that i can kind of put in between because for me when i play with a saxophone player i have to play just purely from listening but also like trying to create that and instantaneously without really having that kind of a technical skills you know so playing with playing as a trio was less of a challenge than playing as a duo oh uh, yeah i see i see complement each other and and it just was there was like more of like a three ways communication because Tyler and I have talked to each other so much that it kind of like ushers into this larger kind of a form. Mm -hmm. Can I just clarify something uh, regarding the idea of technique because I mean if we just go to what we heard now on the acoustic guitar and what we're going to hear in a moment on the electric guitar from my point of view you have tons of technique you know, so so I guess just out of, out of clarification, because like we, we talk about music and and we're using language to describe another kind of system of vocabulary language and whatnot. And the idea of technique, when you when you say, well, you don't have the technique to navigate certain these certain things, like having heard you play in different contexts, 
as a listener, uh, it's from my standpoint, you have tons of technique, tons of vocabulary, all these things. <clears throat> you can do. So when you're when you talk about technique in this particular context, just just so I understand better, are you do you mean like more in terms of conventional uh, technique, like conservatory skills of like dealing with like scales and chords and harmony, you know, the, in that sense, or what do you mean? I think thing means a lot of different things for me. I think the the codified nature of Western music in itself, I am really not necessarily against it. It's just more like I see that as like this form of through my prism, political prism or whatever, more like a radical prism. I see that as like more like this colonized form, right? Like I don't, I really don't need that. I never learned it, but I have forms of ideas, like rhizomes of these ideas that I can take, but I'm not really interested because I feel that I never was interested before. Now I can never go back there because I really, for me, my approach is pretty like horizontal in the sense that I just go at the music just to, as like a bare bone thing. Like it's just, I'm just thrown there and I'll play. Like, it's just kind of like, a, I'm just this thing. It's this moving body that plays. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Does it make sense? It totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. You know, I, like, so like, if, if I understand you right, are you saying like, okay, you go into the context and even if it's like uh, the trio, let's keep it to the trio with Ty Tyler and, and Dave uh, Kuzu. Um, when you walk on stage, okay, you have this history with both of those musicians now as a group, because it is a group. It has its own character and quality, nature. Um, do you, like, walk into that, okay, clean slate, let's just, I'm going to discover this for whatever it is on this particular night, or are you walking into that with, okay, I'm carrying, like, the experience, let's say you're on tour, I'm carrying a bit of, like, last night's memory, even if it's, like, some vapor in the back of your head or not. Uh, is it like a clean slate deal? Like I know that with, with Paul Litton, when I work with him, it's a very, very uh, rigorous approach of like we start not you can't start from zero, but that you're really like, what is it going to be tonight? Like, forget about what we did before. Try to get rid of all that and let's start as much as we can with like discovering purely whatever it is tonight. Or is it more like uh, an ongoing process? continuing uh, 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 narrative from concert to concert if you're on tour? like, Or is it is it something else from that? I think uh, the rationality of that approach, it's almost like I am really doing away with any rational. Like, there's no, like, I'm not taking any empirical sense of perspective. I mean, yeah, definitely, like, memory plays an important role, right? Like, the, your cognitive remembrance of your past or whatever like, like last night you'll come back yeah there's always rememorizing of those the moments of those improvisational life that yeah definitely like the one show i played you know there's like something i did last night it comes back without me knowing mm -hmm. <laughs> because sound that dave does that provokes me to make that sound or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. but yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't really think in terms of any rational rigidity in in the sense of uh, immediacy of what I need to do, right? Like, I'm not going in there, but like, I'm not going to do blah, blah, blah. There's mm -hmm. certain, like, Tyler, you're not going to play the bells or, mm -hmm. you know, we just, 
it just it doesn't make sense to me to do any of that. Like it's just mm-hmm. we just do what we do, and mm-hmm. it become what it will become. And I guess that's that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're trying, in a sense, it's like you're not you're not going at it with a certain intention. You're trying to discover what what that might be in a performance, and if things will come in that may have occurred at some point, that's just because it's part of the discussion. It's like bringing up an idea in a conversation with someone you know. You might talk about the subject again, and you might have a new perspective on it because it's a different day and you've learned something since the last time you talked about it, but you're not going to avoid that conversation. You're not going to avoid that subject. It's part of discourse. It might come up, it might not. You let it be free. You let it be what it is. Find the nature of that particular performance. Something, Something like that, yeah? Okay, right. well, let's um, go. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. I think what I've come to learn more and more is like improvisation becomes kind of a like a the, you become you, your life becomes part of it, right? Like you you live improvisation. It it goes it it flows through your body, and I I I literally feel like that's how my existence is. You know, I kind of move along with how things become. Maybe before we uh, hear a, a last bit of music from you, you could talk a little bit about some other kinds of musicians that non-guitarists that, that you find interesting uh, or inspiring. You know, they're outside of the particular instrument you work with. <clears throat> I think somebody just mentioned uh, Mammifer, Aaron Turner, and Faith. Uh, they're in Vashon, Washington. I don't know, Washington. Um, they're they're some of my favorite musicians, and music is a very beautiful sonic. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's one of my non-guitar aspect of music that I love. Mm. Um, trying to think. I mean, I love many different forms of music, and mm-hmm. that will vary. You know, a lot of traditional music to vocal music from Africa to Asia. <laughs> yeah, most of the musicians that I, I know, um, you know, they maybe work within a certain field, you know, and, and there's a lot of variety within that too, obviously. Like, just think about the different musicians you've collaborated with. There's there's a real range in aesthetics there, different styles of playing, different kinds of playing. Um, but in addition to that, almost every musician I know, even if they don't play in another, let's say, kind of field of music, they listen to a huge range of music. I don't, I don't know anybody who, let's say, is only that I that I work with or that I talk to uh, as a musician. Let's say 
they maybe they do completely improvised music, but that's not all they listen to. You know, I'll be really amazed, like, uh, and sometimes surprised at the things that they're super into because they seem pretty far afield from the the things that they pursue in their own work. Is there any kind of uh, music that that you really love to listen to that, let's say, someone like myself would be surprised that you're so devoted to it? You know, uh, I'm just curious, like something that seems far afield. Oh yeah, um, I love Bollywood. Okay, okay. And what? And what? Just out of curiosity, is it the spectacle, the music, the both, or what? I think there's a lot of because Bhutan borders India, and I grew up hearing a lot of music from India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not so classical, you know, the, the formalized music. It was more just old, old Bollywood music. My dad used to sing and. You know, just, just kind of a nostalgic music. It's interesting. I mean, that's it's such a huge cultural presence next to Bhutan. You know, the, the cultural, uh, the river of culture that comes from India, it's, 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 <laughs> I grew up hearing a lot of that. So I still listen to Bollywood music and it's something that just really makes me happy and it connects me deeply to, you know, that kind of a collective memory of growing up next to this beautiful country and culture. There's that. And I also love a lot of monastic music, traditional monastic music from home. Mm. It's, it's deeply within my heart and, and I'm not even very religious or I don't, you know, I don't really practice Buddhism, but it is something that I grew up around a lot, like especially chants and drum music and horns. Mm-hmm. This kind of a deeper, you know, a heavier music. That's the, that's the mountain music. I grew up with that, and that's something that always reverberates in my mind and my cultural memory that I carry with myself. Does any of that more monastic mu- music? Does any of that? Uh, do you feel like it it comes through in your your own uh, music? The stuff you're pursuing, maybe not even in an overt way, but like a like a mental space an emotional space uh, I think is- I think it does I think you know that that kind of a cultural that kind of a cultural memory is so when you grow up with that language and the, the food and the air and the color it is it, deeply in my you know heart and soul and Bhutan is my home so you know it's kind of a rememorizing it's always I think prevalent in that kind of a diasporic kind of a sense Mm -hmm. so yes it comes but I don't think there's an intentionality and I don't think I even would ever be able to recognize that in some Mm -hmm. ways you know it's it's, it's fairly abstract but I would say it definitely seeps into you know there's sensibility there's ideas there's you know there's there's moments I think Thank you.